Hey everyone, and welcome to The Seed. We are changing over to a new podcast show that is more reflective of where I am in life. Ironically, The Seed was planted by every guest that I had on my Homes and Hops podcast. So listen in, subscribe, and comment on my new monthly podcast, The Seed, which stems from Dandelion Discussions, all about women empowerment, entrepreneurship, and objectives that are often planted in us. Our guest stories are here to inspire, educate, and most importantly, to let you know you are not alone. Hey everyone, Lisa Resnick with The Seed. Sitting with Deanna Rossi. Hey, Deanna. Hi, Lisa. So I'm going to abbreviate as much as possible all of Deanna's accomplishments. <laughs> and I did have to write them all down. And I'm sure there's much more not on this list. So Deanna is an author, speaker, financial strategist, philanthropist, and entrepreneur. She is a serial entre- entrepreneur, as a matter of fact, and a community activist. She speaks all over the country She has written the book, The Gift of Money, a brilliant, easy-to-read book that discusses basic money concepts, and the book that we're going to discuss today, No Justifications. Did I pronounce that Oh my gosh, you got it right. Look at you. Don't expect that again. (laughs) So this is a book that she talked text while recovering in a dark room from an optical stroke that partially blinded her which is absolutely amazing. And it has become a number one bestseller. Yeah. That's pretty badass. It, well, we, we will say that. Yes, it was it was a badass experience. So So this I do also want to say as well, because I love this as part of your social media description. You are all about making people's dreams come true. That's right. And I think that's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. So welcome. Well, thank you. Yay. I love your space. It's so cute. Thank you very much. Yeah. I feel like I feel like if I had a couch and if the TV was actually in the room where the couch was, I don't know if I'd ever and I could bring my dog here. I don't know if you I'd don't ever leave. Really, I get it. Yeah. My kids can come visit me here. They can visit you here. It'd yeah. be perfect. It'll be great. I know. Like like little bunk beds right you know, off the wall, like the a little Murphy bed. the Murphy bed. Boom boom. That's yeah, right. like like in a train car where yes. they come down, you could have a few of them. Mm-hmm. That would be absolutely amazing. I'd I think it's a- adorable, and it, it should have like bookshelves when it's folded up on the wall. So actually, and I I'm embarrassed that I cannot remember this woman's name. So part of the seat, so I do the weekly newsletters, is a litany of black women that are. You would remember them and think of them every day of your life from inventing the current furnace system with the thermostats to our phones to the music that we listen to and the Murphy bed as well. Wow. So with this one woman, I want to say her name is um, her last name is Boone. I could be incorrect, but what she what she created she grew up in Chicago and Chicago had smaller spaces. That's what happens when you live in the city environment. Right. So she created a bed that actually folded up into a desk. Isn't it so cool? I love those little cute transitional furniture yes. that fold into other things. Yes. I'm like, I could totally live in a tiny house. I could not. <laughs> <laughs> Let me be clear. I love them. I love the thought of them. 
But I am I am too much of a bull in a china shop. I would end up hurting or breaking something or bumping bruises all around because I'd hit things all the time. Oh, but, really? Oh, yeah. 100%. When I was a kid, I had a little walk-in closet that would go up to our attic. Uh-huh. And I used to spend all my time in there. And my my room was one of the smaller rooms in the house, but I love that closet. And my mom's like, oh, you know, you do want this other bed? No, I want to be here because I want that closet. I would spend all my time playing in that little closet on that that set of stairs. But that's your space. That was my space. And a hidden space. It was very cute. Did you decorate it? No. Not decorated. Not, nope. Not a thing on the walls. Nothing. My My clothes were in there and it went up to our attic. That's pretty sweet. Yep. So where'd you grow up? I grew up in, well, Lowville, but it was in Coitsville. So if you know the- I do know the area. Yes. So I grew up kind of out in the country. And yes, in, you did. In between the middle of it's kind of the east side. There. Yeah, it's kind of almost to the east side of Youngstown. So we're real close over there. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we were really close to Lowville. My mom was a teacher in Lowville, so we were able to attend Lowville schools. That, so, I have a really good friend from Lowville. There's a lot of pride. And people who go to Lowville. Absolutely. It's an amazing community. And the way that they just wrap up around people in the community Mm -hmm. and help each other out, it it really was an amazing place to grow up. I believe it. And it is beautiful out there. And I do think location-wise, when it comes to actually Trumbull County, as well as Mahoney County, is very well positioned. Mm -hmm. I really do like that. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. So as I said, you're a serial entrepreneur. A little bit. So I am hoping that you get to a point where I'm going to deep dive real quick so you can educate me okay. on the money lady. All right. So what brought you to the point of becoming the money lady? Well, I started off in the financial industry. I was 22 years old. Why? But why I ended up in the financial industry? Because <laughs> some guy said, go see this guy. He does something financial. And I sat through this. He was giving a little presentation. says, hey, this is what our company does. And he says, um, and if you know of anybody, I just moved to the area I'm going to be interviewing. And I filled out his little sheet at the end and says, you know, if you want a financial plan and all this. And I was just getting married. I'm like, oh, yeah, I need the financial plan. And one of the boxes was, do you know, would you be interested in interviewing or do you know somebody that would? And you can list down, you know, your recommendations. And I checked the box and said, I wanted to interview. I handed in. And the guy, I give him the little sheet. He looks at it and he looks at me and looks at the sheet. He says, wait, 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 you want to interview? I, I said, well, yeah, I want to interview. Why? He's like, you're like 22 and a girl. And I said, is, is, that an, it, is that an issue? And he's like, well, when you think of a financial advisor, what do you think of? I said, yeah, some old dude with salt and pepper hair. I get it. Mm-hmm. I said, but are you telling me that I'm not going to do well here? Like, is there really that much of a barrier? He's like... Well, and this is 20 some years ago, right? He says the industry is mostly men. He says in a lot of other traditional companies within the industry, you're going to really run up against that. He says, now, luckily, the company that he worked with, he says, and, and that I worked with for 20 some years, he says, you know, there is a predetermined set of guidelines for promotion. So it doesn't matter whether you're male or female or tall or skinny or black or white. He's yeah. like, listen, it's, you know, very clear cut. You're, you can get promoted here. It doesn't matter. And I said, okay. And he says, but here's the thing. He's like, you're young. He says, and you're going to have that challenge that a lot of people aren't going to listen to you because you're a young female. You're going to run up against that. He says, are you willing to be coachable? 
And yeah, I know I talk about it in the book, right? <laughs> and I talk about being coachable and that, and I've really learned that from him. He says, are you willing to be coachable? And I said, yeah. And he says, okay, you got to do everything I tell you to do in the time frame in which I tell you to do it. And I said, okay, I can do that. And so I actually had a full-time job in marketing and that was my background was marketing right out of college. And, and then I started off in the financial realm with this guy for part-time. And after a couple of months part-time, he said, just hang on to my coattails and do what I tell you to do. So if he gave me a goal of do something in a couple of weeks, I'd get it done in one week. If he gave me a goal of a month, I'd do it in two weeks. If he says three months, I would do it in a month and a half. So I would try to cut the time frame in half. And because I was working so hard, I was able to, within a few months, my part-time income took over my full-time income. And I said, I need to make a go of this. And I, and I jumped in full-time. So there's a couple of things. First question is, have you always been this way? Of course. <laughs> We're going to go back to potty training. Um, I was thinking about this the other day. My sister's 15 months older than me. And there's a story of how I was potty trained very young because she's being potty trained. I'm like, I want to do that. <laughs> I just shortened time frames. That, that was a thing, apparently. How long did it take you? Because I'll be done in a day. Yeah. <laughs> Right. But I think I wanted to prove it's more about proving it to myself. If I see something and I say, you know what, I can do that too. Why not try to do that? And then yes. and I, I think that you, the strongest competition you have is not somebody else. It's yourself. It is. And so if you can prove to yourself that you're capable of something, yep. then you're going to be so much prouder of yourself. And I think of what well, I'm kind of a zipline aficionado. And I took my kids. Clearly not afraid of heights. Not afraid of heights at all. I mean, I'll dangle from anywhere, right? <laughs> so, but I took my kids to zip line in Niagara Falls. Okay. And so you zip line over the falls. It's beautiful. But we get up to the top of this and they have this, you know, whole stairway thing and you wait in line and the three of us are ready to go and they, they can have, I think it's four people zip line simultaneously. And so the three of us are going to go. And we're all strapped in, ready to go. And they said, um, no, we need, you, we, you need to get out of your harness. And I said, what? They said, your little girl's backing out. She's flipping out. And so I looked at her and I said, Maya, you, you've got to do this. And she's like, no, I'm scared. And so I started off with the bribery, right? Every yes. parent. And I'm strapped in. And I'm like, I'm going down this, whether she likes it or not. Yes. And, and I said, um, babe, you know, you, I'm going to get you a Build-A-Bear. We're going to get candy. Like, right, I'm trying everything. She's really little too. And I'm like, come on, you got to do this. Yeah. And that that wasn't going to convince her. And I said, well, babe. Well, that's good to know though. Future reference. Bribery will not work. Bribery didn't work. I'm sure it may work now when she's 16. Yes. But um, so bribery didn't work. And so the first, you know, immediately they said, well, come on, you got to get unstrapped. You have all these people behind you. And I said, to her, I said, you know, how, how would you feel if you don't do this? Mm -hmm. And she goes, well, I'm really scared to do it. And I said, well, how are you going to feel when you get to the end? I said, I'm going to be so proud of you. You're going to be so proud of you. And my son strapped in too, and he's ready to go. I mean, we're yes. ready to launch. And he says, yeah, get in the thing. Let, let's just get this over with, you know, let's rip the bandaid off. Yes. Yes. And so then I said, so then I started just speaking life into her and speaking encouragement. I said, babe, you could do this. You're going to feel so great about yourself. You, you, you're so strong. I really admire you. Overcoming this fear is going to be great. And then the people behind us heard that. And, and I called her by name and I said, Maya, you could do this. And this guy behind us started saying, Maya, 
Maya. No way. And then the whole, so now, I mean, imagine multiple stories of people now realize they're being held up by some little girl named Maya. So they all start cheering for her. I said, now you got to do it. Do you really want to walk down those stairs? I said, or do you want to be proud when you're down on the other side? And she got herself strapped in and we went down and she was scared. But at the end, she was so happy. And I I talk about this in the book, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't talk about that instance, but I talk about the concept on the other side of uncomfortable is everything you ever wanted. And it built a pride in her and a self-confidence in her that, hey, I can overcome this even if it's uncomfortable. It's true. It's absolutely true. And a part of me is like, I hope she carries that moment and that anytime that she is in that spot of being concerned about pushing through and what's on the other side, that she has that chant from when she was a little girl from behind her. Everybody needs a moment like that in their lives. And that is a beautiful moment that she had. And I've always noticed her self-confidence after that moment, Mm -hmm. that she can push through a lot of different things because she's had moments like that, that moment and others that she saw what she was doing. that in the book. It's like how you're going to feel after you make the accomplishment, Mm -hmm. after you work and get into the uncomfortable, feel the butterflies, whatever, like you talking about getting to that other side and how then confident you feel in yourself. And that's when you when you were just saying about how we are our competition. We need yeah. to, to work for ourselves because at the end of the day, that's who we're with. It's so true. I mean, it's self-confidence. You know, some yeah. people say, well, this person's self-confident or I don't have self-confidence. I'll tell you what self-confidence is. It's how often you keep promises to yourself. Yes. So if you tell yourself, I'm going to wake up at six in the morning and I'm going to work out and Mm -hmm. you don't do it, you don't do it, you don't do it. Now you realize you're lying to yourself or you say, you know what? I'm not going to eat dessert. And then you eat dessert, right? Then all of a sudden you have this self guilt and it's okay to slip off of the, you know, the, the path every here and there, but it's about course correction. And the more often you keep promises to yourself, the, it's true. That's your self confidence, you know, thermometer is going to go up. It's true. Mm hmm. I am all about keeping promises. I am also someone who detests the overpromise. Mm-hmm. The overpromise and underdeliver. I'd yes. rather underpromise and overdeliver. I I don't get it. It's such an easy concept for people to follow through on, and yet they don't they don't do it. And and, and I don't understand why. Well, you know, it's even better is to overpromise and overdeliver. Yes. Oh, over on top of the overpromise. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and it's true. So you do have more confidence in yourself. Because you're upholding what you're saying that you're going to do. And then not only that, but then other people will have more confidence in you and trusting you when it comes to putting their faith in you, which then also brings an air of confidence for you as well. But the the over-promising and under-delivering... I mean, it is instantaneous that trust can be broken because of that. Well, and I think that a lot of people that that have experienced that, and I think everybody's done that in their life. It's not like, oh, you've done it once and then, you know, you're a terrible person. I think that you've had these in your life and then you go to course correct. I have. Well, so I I can honestly say that I'm probably not, I'm not an overpromiser. I can tell you I failed in my promises, but at least the attempt is there. The attempt is there. And I think, you know, and it's not just women, but a lot of women today are spread so thin and don't yes. want to say no. So, you know, they 
promise their kids they're going to help them with this. And then they also promise this organization they're going to do that. Mm-hmm. But then they made a promise at work and then they made a promise to their husband. Yes. And, and they're split in so many different ways. They feel like, and I talk about this in the book, that they're going to drop one of these balls. So we have to talk I, about I was, the balls. I was totally thinking about the, the ball pit. <laughs> the ball pit, yeah. But the ball pit's fun. The ball pit is fun. So, But I think what a lot of women, and I talk about this in the book, is the a lot of, not just women, but everybody, but, but women especially, yeah. that they feel like they're juggling these balls on a tightrope, the, the balls of life, All I would the call time. them. Yeah, on a tightrope, walking across Niagara Falls, right? Yes. And they, you know, one ball, let's say it's the green ball, is family. And then you've got the red ball, and, you know, that's work. And then you've got the yellow ball, that's mm-hmm. the kids. And then you've got the philanthropic one, and that's orange. And you've got yes. all these balls, you're juggling them. You feel like you're walking a tightrope, and you constantly have anxiety because you feel like you're going to drop one of these balls, and you're juggling them and walking the tightrope, and all, and all this is happening. And then the wind starts to blow, and you're like, oh my gosh. Like, right? I can't handle it. Right. And, and even as I describe that, don't you can feel the anxiety. Oh, 100%. Right? You can, you can start to shake. And it's true. what happened to me is I was finally at this point in my life where I had all this happening. I was going through my divorce, and I said, there's no way I can hold it all up. And that's the moment when I started really viewing my life as a ball pit. I said, how do I enjoy this more? And then I started saying, wait a minute, the ball pit when you were a little kid was so exciting. Yes. The bigger the ball pit, the more colorful the balls. You're like, I want to get in that ball pit. Exactly. And I want to jump in and I want to have fun. And if there were like- be there all day. Yeah. And if there were five balls in the ball pit, it was a lame ball pit, right? You wanted (laughs) millions of balls. You wanted this huge one. I remember the first ball pit of of my memory was at, what was that? It was um, not, not, uh, oh, where they have, it was SeaWorld. SeaWorld. And it was like a captain's boat and they had this ball pit- Yes. Now I think about how disgusting it probably was in there, but that's okay. That's okay. Listen, we get sick less often because of because all of that. Yes. <laughs> so I remember that experience and how fun that was, and that's how I started viewing my life. I said, you know what? I'm going to throw all the balls down, and I'm going to dive into the ball pit, and I started filling my life up with more. Suddenly, now I'm a single mom working, and I'm trying to juggle this. And I said, I'm not juggling anymore, and I started getting on different boards of organizations giving my time, putting more into my life, new friendships into my life. Yes. And my made my life this fun ball, ball pit. And I said, you know, how do you make sure that you're paying attention to each thing? What I realize is when you're just waiting in the ball pit and having fun, that the ball that needs to be in your hand at that moment will come, will be in your hand at that moment. I couldn't agree more, could not agree more with that. And just to get streamlined, 22 years old, you are now at this financial institution, killing it, that <laughs> that it is taking oh, yeah, over. We're, we're going to go back to that story. Know, yeah, right? to, your, to a full-time job, which honestly, and I had a discussion with my child about this. Now, he he's not thinking marketing or anything like that. He's thinking microbiology is what Ooh, he wants to go fancy. into. I know. Um, I couldn't even define what that is. But, um, but that's what he wants, and I'm totally going to support him in that. However, where we did get in a disagreement was he's entering into high school and they have all the electives. And one of the electives is accounting and finance. And I said, you will take these as an elective. And he, and he, but that doesn't correspond with my major. I said, oh, but it will. But it will. So those are things. So I think about your marketing and your financing and how, what a beautiful 
world that is, especially taking your marketing to help help elevate your financing. Yes. And and I think that's one of the things that made me successful is mm-hmm. I wasn't, you know, I may not have been the person that everybody was going to listen to as this 22-year-old, but I, what I did a great job of was surrounding myself with other professionals. Mm-hmm. And so very similar to real estate, right? Yes. Like a real estate agent would start part-time and then become the broker. And that's what I did mm-hmm. is I said, okay, not everybody's going to want to meet with me. There are some people who want to meet with me. And that's okay. And that's fine. So I surrounded myself with other professionals and I brought on other professionals that were opposite of me. And and I said, you know, wherever I'm weak, I'm going to bring other people in that are strong. And so there are a lot of people that have gone through their life, like your son is thinking right now, they never take a financial course. Mm-hmm. You see this happen with doctors a lot and nurses because it's not part of their curriculum. And then all of a sudden they got to run a business. Yes. And so they I don't... I to say a lot of entrepreneurs because... It- you're an idea person. Right. So yeah. how do you fill the void of your weak spots? You when- hire a I professional. Know. I know. So if you're weak in something, and that's you know that's what I always tell people. If you're saying, well, I'm not good with money, I'm not good with money, great, find somebody who's good with money. Agreed. Right? Agreed. I, I mean, that's what you do. You find somebody who's good with money. I'm not good with cleaning. I'm not good with cleaning. I'm not good with, I'm going to find somebody who's good with cleaning. <laughs> Right? No, that's exactly right. right. Yeah. So and every position is important, but you can't do it all. And not only that, but then you're not giving the full effort of where you're truly passionate about. Right. And play to your yeah, play to your strength. And which is rising then all ships. Yes. Yeah. A rising tide raises yes. all ships. You I love how you're tying all these little Thank concepts in that were in the book. <laughs> I do believe in that. And I think a lot of people don't get that concept right away. And I know that JFK had used that mm-hmm. phrase and a few other really amazing human beings in our yes. history use the phrase, a rising tide raises all ships. It's true. And it, and I see this happen in business a lot and in our community organizations where I see people start to get competitive, but combative competitive, where they're tearing each other down. I talk about the crabs the, in the you bucket. Know, <laughs> you were, you were going to go. Bucket. So the crabs in a bucket, I tell the story all the time. Which I never heard that story. Really? Until you told me about it. Oh, I did. We were we were at Prima. Oh, having wine. Yes. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe at Prima Cucina Italiana yes. downtown Youngstown. Yes. yes. Maybe that might have been where we were. One of my favorite spots. <laughs> yes. But um, but I remember you telling me you coming and you start talking about the crab, the basket of crabs, and I was like, Is she? And you looked at me like you haven't heard this. And I was like, I've never heard this. <laughs> right. So go ahead. Say okay. It. So I we got to we got to tell the, the the crab in the bucket story. Yeah. So you know, there's. What happens with crabs? If you put one crab in a bucket, it's going to climb out of the bucket. It's going to climb to freedom. It's going to climb to be what it needs Mm -hmm. to be, and it's going to go on and be great. But if you put two crabs in a bucket, they will die in the bucket. But you want to know why? Is because first crab climbs up. The other one pulls him down. Crab number two climbs up. Crab number one pulls him down. They will keep pulling each other down, and they will die in the bucket. And it's not just crab nature. It's human nature. Yeah. Humans do this, and it's because the innate feeling of they don't want to be abandoned. Mm-hmm. And so they see their friend or their family member or their spouse. It happens all the time. They see them climbing up and becoming grand and yes. who they were meant to be. And then there's something in them that feels small, so they pull that person down. They may say something. They may be mm-hmm. discouraging. They may say, oh, you'll never make it at that. Oh, that's really hard. I don't even think people recognize when they're doing it. No, a lot of times they don't. Not that I can get into a whole spiritual thing of what I think that is. I think that that's evil speaking through them sometimes, but, and they don't even realize it. 
and they get they start pulling down somebody in their life. And I always tell people instead of, you know, just identify if you're being someone's crab in a bucket, change your mindset and say, how do I be a step up for them? Mm -hmm. How do I help them become who they need to be? And yes, you may feel uncomfortable that they're outgrowing you, but you have a choice. You can grow with them. I will have to say through, through age, and if people are younger out there, please don't wait until you're 46. Like I did wait until my forties, but, um, it took me a while to realize that there are those other craps out there that will pull you down. And, yep. and, but there are also a lot of others that will elevate you and support you. Mm-hmm. And I have become very quick to recognize the bad craps. And that's what you need to do is yep. recognize them. And, and I, another phrase from the book, sometimes yeah. you need to change your friends or change your friends. Yes. And and when I I had put that on social media once and one of my friends said, hey, I think you had a typo. (laughs) I'm like, it wasn't a typo. Read it again. She's like, huh? And I said, read it again. Sometimes you need to change your friends, meaning if your crab friends won't change their ways or the way they speak or the way they're, you know, tearing somebody down, then maybe it's your naysayers. Right. Those when you are pitching an idea, they automatically give you every reason Oh, why it will you pulling not. this from the book again? I know. Those are the yeah butters. Yes. That's the phrase. Yes. They're a yeah butter. Yeah butters are the worst. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's really a great are. idea, but. But. Yeah, 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 yeah. But. Mm-hmm. It's like when people apologize and then follow up with a but. It's not oh, an apology. It's not an apology. You're not supporting. If there's a but, you're not doing what oh you're Oh my gosh, that's a doing. great book title. I apologize, but dot, dot, dot. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever wants to steal that, I've yeah. got some insight. <laughs> Go for it. We'll help you out with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and then what was the other one? There was the, the butters and then there was the other ones. The, the what's nexter. Yes. What's next? What's next? What's next? What do I do next? And that's yeah. what I did with the gentleman who coached me in the business to bring that story back yeah. full circle is he would give me a task and say, go do this. And then I'd come back to him and I'd say, okay, what's next? next? And he says, well, go do this. And I say, okay, what's next? And there were people who were 30 years older than me that he was coaching that weren't doing that. They weren't executing at the speed of instruction. And I was executing at double the speed of instruction. Mm -hmm. So where was he going to spend his time? So he's like, well, I, I may need to invest my time in coaching this person who wants it. It's true. And I think that a lot of times desire you know, I think of stories like Rudy. Remember the, mm-hmm. the football movie, yes. Rudy, and it's about the heart. And if you desire something more than someone else, you may not have the innate talent. You may not have the physical brawn. But yes. if your heart is in it, you can overcome somebody who doesn't quite it's have true. what, you know. It's true. That's 100% true. Yeah, it is. We've seen it over and over again. Happens a lot more. I mm-hmm. th- I feel like the hardest thing that I have to deal with is... Because my personality is a more what's next. Mm. Because my personality is no excuses. Mm-hmm. Um, and which you even mentioned this in the book can be a detriment at times. Because you mentioned about allowing that personal and being open and transparent. Yes. Um, you and I both have similar experiences with miscarriages. Right. And we keep things when it came to our work lives separate, separate because we didn't want it to impact how they in the work world looked at us about what we were capable of accomplishing because 
something happen. Right. I mean, I even remember like a long period of time of me barely even mentioning that I have children, the ones I do have. Wow. Because I was concerned that people in the work world the perception would say, oh, she has kids. She's wow. not going to be able to work as hard as the other one. That, that hurts me. And th- but you've changed this as you've gotten older and kind of starts yes. to see like that idea. Yes. And I it's think- hard to break a ba- a bad habit, though. Okay, all you ladies that are a little younger. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're in our 40s. And I think that there's a thing about, you know, when you're in your 40s that you start to embrace who you are. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we've talked a little bit about this. I just feel like, screw it, this is it. Right. But I was in my 20s when I had my miscarriages. And I and I did. I, I felt like I needed to hide that. I didn't want people to feel like I was weak. I didn't want people to yes. pity me. And I hadn't told them I was, I didn't tell my work family that I was pregnant. They didn't know. And that's the other thing we keep secret as well. Right. And and it was the beginning of the pregnancy. I didn't tell people yet. Mm-hmm. And and I, I should have. I look back and I should have because then I think they would have understand what I was going through. There was this one guy that we would have trainings on Saturday mornings. Wonderful human being. And I was great friends with him. And he was one of these guys who was 30 years older than me that I worked with. And he'd give me a hug every morning and he'd say, hey, you know, how you doing today? And and yeah. when are we having more kids? You know, God said to be fruitful, multiply. Yes, and he's just such a, yeah, he's such a sweetheart. And the smell of his cologne would make me throw up. And I would run away and I would literally go into the office bathroom and throw up and then collect myself and come out because I needed to be this strong woman. Mm-hmm. And I didn't tell people that I was pregnant. I didn't tell him. So now he's like, why is she running away from me? Why is she being so standoffish? So he's thinking I'm a brat. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, you know, I'm not being a brat. I'm being a sick pregnant woman, but I didn't tell people that. Then I had the miscarriage. So now no one knows I'm pregnant and no one knows I'm going through what I'm going through emotionally and physically because then your body's a mess it's hormones everything oh yeah i mean you're you're a mental wreck for a period of time you go through hair loss physically everything everything because you've just expedited the process of being pregnant and then not and then not exactly so all the things that happen after Mm -hmm. pregnancy after your pregnancy and you deliver a baby your body then goes through that postpartum Mm -hmm. hormonal craziness and so then yeah it was it, it, I, I wish I would have handled it differently, but you don't, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. they say. It is. So I always tell people it's okay to tell people. It's true. I, re- I actually remember for my first miscarriage, um, I was actually also, this is when I was listing a house in Virginia, and the, pe- the sellers were beautiful people, the nicest people ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember having the miscarriage on Tuesday and going to the hospital and I still showed up for the open houses on Saturday and Sunday Yeah, because mm. I was like, I can't say I can't do something. I can't. And then of course, then you don't allow the emotions and you to actually mentally and physically give yourself time. Oh, Absolutely. I, I was, I had my miscarriage. It was on a Friday night going into Saturday morning. I went to the Saturday morning yeah. training at our office Yeah, and I tried to keep myself together. It's, it's, it yeah. catches up to us eventually. But. Right. <laughs> and, and then I'm like running off to the bathroom to cry. And then you're like, okay, pull it together, pull yeah. it together. And, and, you know, and I, I want people to give themselves grace in yes. whatever they're going through. It could be loss. It could be anything. But I think that if you give yourself grace now, that doesn't mean be a complainer either. You know, there's a fine line. So that's what I'm I'm getting at. It's like, so 
or pushers mm-hmm. of our own selves. And and then I I'll never forget also my one of my first reviews at CBRE mm-hmm. being told Lisa you are at an upper level of what you do on a day-to-day. However, and we appreciate that. However, you expect everybody mm. to be at that same level. Wow. And they're not there. And you have to learn where other people's ceilings are. Wow. I have a lot to say about that. I know. <laughs> and, and of course, my, and I prop this was probably bratty. My response was, if I don't have them at that level, then they shouldn't be along next to me because then they're taking up time instead of being able to help. But that was bratty. But <laughs> I, I think it depends the situation. I get what you're saying. And I think that a lot of times, you know, women, anybody, let, let's go with this with anybody. You are in a situation where you have a light. Mm-hmm. And for some people, that light is too bright. And it's annoying to them. It's bothersome to them. And in that environment where you were at that time, that light was too bright for the environment. And so those people were just, you were too bright for that environment. But if we took your same light and put it in a higher level environment, the other people, if they were even brighter than you, you would be like, man, I got to, I got to take it up to another level. Yes. The thing was, is you weren't in the right environment. So your light they're telling you to dim your life light to fit into the environment. But this is when you know you need to change your friends or change your friends, meaning change your environment. <laughs> so I think that ha- I see it happen with my kids. Mm-hmm. And I tell a couple stories in the book about my daughter. She was around these. One of the stories I tell is, you know, she's starting in high school and there were these girls talking about another girl. And they said Love the cheerleader. One. Yeah, this cheerleader, this. And they were saying negative things. And she's like, wait a minute, mom. She comes home and she says, I didn't say anything. And I said, well, did you correct them? She goes, I know they're going to be talking about me one minute later. And I said, so are you going to hang out Which with those girls? very anymore? wise of her. Very wise. She's a she's an old soul and super wise. And I said, what do I always tell you? She goes, sometimes you got to change your friends or change your friends. Mm-hmm. And she would rather now sit by herself at lunch than sit with people that are pulling her down. Yes. And it's because I've talked to her about these concepts and she says, you know, uh, and she's already taking college level classes as a as a sophomore because she's saying, okay, this is my light, and if I'm making other people mm-hmm. uncomfortable, then I need to get around people where aren't uncomfortable with that, it's and true. and that I need to then grow and I can have a, an ability to shine my light even brighter. That's true. So I think that's one of the things that we do a lot as just as human beings, and during that growth phase of life is we have a tendency to dim our light to make other people comfortable. And anybody out there that's listening to this, if you've ever felt like you've had to do that, that you had to dim your light to be around whoever it is, if it's friends, if it's family members, if it's coworkers, I'm not saying go quit your job tomorrow, but what I am saying is <laughs> is what you may need to do is start to- They've probably been quiet quitting for a while now. <laughs> quiet, they've been quiet quitting for a while. But listen, then strategize. Don't don't just, you know, yeah. financially, you may need to come see us so that we can make sure it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. But right, you don't you don't just want to break that uh, right there, then and there, because you have this moment. But you do need to maybe strategize, how do I get myself into a position where I'm around people at a higher level so that I can grow. So you also mentioned this in the book, which I do want to deep dive a little bit more on. You mentioned actually approaching 
your superiors. Oh, yeah. And saying to them, I want more. Now, there is definitely a part of me that it, that says, well, if you don't do it, then they'll never know. And you'll probably stay mm. where you're at longer than you want. And then you'll probably end up going someplace else that you feel could elevate you more. But if you do do it, there is, again, and this could be my old school thinking. And then also, unfortunately, I think about the people in the room who I'd be talk, telling this to, um, that they'll start, I'm going to be planting the seed in their mind that I'm not satisfied where I currently am. And what would that do to me in my position? So you, th- so you think there are a lot of people sit there and say, hey, if I, if I voice that I'm not satisfied, that then they're going to say, mm-hmm. oh, well, they're, they have one foot out the door. Mm-hmm. And so then they're playing, they're towing the line and they're walking a tightrope again yes. instead of saying, hey, I do want more. And I think there's a way to have that conversation depending on the environment, okay. depending on, you know, the people you're working with and their, their openness. I think the, the conversation does need to be had if you feel like you're underserving who you are. And you need to go to, depending how you're working, if you're working in a corporate environment or you're working, you know, in a small family business or whatever, you at some point do need to say, okay, this is what I envision. I want to be the best version of me. And, but I also want to execute a hundred percent of what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's a way to have that conversation. And it does depend on who's around you, because we all know there's some volatile corporate situations out there that if you if you if you express that, you're fired. Yes. It's like instantaneous. They're like, let's we need to move on to the next person who's going to fill their position Mm -hmm. because they're they're done. Yeah, I wouldn't have done well in an environment like that. (laughs) I I will have to say that um, the the couple of times that I have approached uh, management and said, because I did, I started off in the, in the corporate world, mm-hmm. um, in real estate. And, um, I did approach them stating that I want more, like I'm very happy, but I also was smart enough to show my value in every single section of the company. Yeah. So when I went to them and I did extra things, I would like I would show up an hour early for work. I would send out right. news articles, letting them know what's happening in real estate in in our area with anything from BRAC to development, no matter what it was. I would send them every every VP and and the president of the company every day. I would send out this is what's in the news. Mm. So when when I did get to a point. I mean, it was a phenomenal company to work for, and I learned a lot. They actually wanted to, they wanted to pay for me to go get my, my architectural degree. Wow. I know. But I was like, I don't want to do that. I mean, I just didn't want to do it. And right. I, wasn't, I was like, you can pay for this stuff for me instead. And they did. They paid for my um, real estate license, and they paid for my real property mm-hmm. administration courses, they, and any membership that I wanted to be involved in. They were absolutely an amazing company. So when I went to them and did ask for more, there was the back of where they saw clearly she needs more. 
Yeah. I mean, and that yeah. happens. And then there's, I, you know, as you're saying that, telling the story, I think of there's so many people that are in that situation and then they feel like, oh, but I'm going to get fired. And sometimes getting fired is a good thing. <laughs> I do. They sometimes, like I've had a couple of instances where friends told me recently that they've been fired, but they were so unhappy to begin with for so long. Yeah. And I was like, that's the push you needed. It's very true. I mean, I've been there too, and I have a, a great story about that. But to one of the other points of this is that I think that sometimes it's okay to outgrow a position. True. And and a company may just not have a position for you for what too. is suitable for you. But and here's the other thing: sometimes you're so good at what you do, and you're so valuable to, to them in that position. They know that you'd be happier doing X, Y, Z. You know you'd be happier doing X, Y, Z. But you've done your job so well that they will never take you to that next position. Maybe it's a promotion. Maybe it's just a change of scenery mm-hmm. or whatever. But they won't take you out of there because you're valuable in that position. And it's okay to outgrow something. And I will say this, though. I, I am not a big believer in – I'm a big believer in burning certain bridges, but not these – these relationship bridges. I just had another person, apparently they didn't read my book, um, and they quit by text this week. Oh, yeah. What what are you doing? Like, cowards send emails, right? No emails and no texts. Right. And I couldn't agree more. I could not agree more. Do not send a text. Do not send an email when you have bad news. I'm going to be, I'll take this even a Any step. Any news. I'll take even this. Even good in, news. I was, I'll take this a step further. If your text message is beyond three sentences or is going to be beyond three back and forth, make the phone call. I totally agree with that. But even I quit. I don't want two words on a text either. <laughs> so please tell me it was more than just like It what? was, it was, I don't think this will work or something like that. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. We already invested in yeah. training. You already did this. We already did that. And I'm and I'm sitting there going, what? But I do think it's a lot of the younger generation. It is. That does that. And, and I, however, there are a lot of people in our age group that have unfortunately adapted, adapted. that mentality as well. Mm-hmm. And it's very frustrating to me. And it's so frustrating to me. My daughter took it and she's 16. She just turned 16 last week. And she took this little position for a camp this summer. She says she kind of took it, but they didn't give her, you know, it wasn't official yet. And she was supposed to go up there for five weeks and be their photographer for the summer. Yeah, it was very cool, right? Yeah. And then this other opportunity came up and there's a speech and debate camp. And she's like, you know, so mom, I'm really kind of toying with this. And I said, well, you know, if you decide not to move forward with this, you need to let them know right away. Mm -hmm. And so she told me, I was away last week. And then she's like, oh, yeah, I'm already, I already told them I'm not taking the position. I go, how did you tell them? She says, well, I sent her a text, but she hasn't responded. I go, what? I go, you get on that phone. And this is like at nine o'clock at night. And I said, 8 Mm a.m. You're on the phone. She goes, what? I said, you're going to call her and say, I, I, I go, come up with what the don't lie. I said, but yeah. tell the truth. Like, I, I feel like I should have really talked to you. And I sent that so that I could get you the information right away. But I do need to talk to you. This is what's going on. And right now, as a 16-year-old girl, I got to make this decision. Yes. And I apologize. I know you were potentially counting on me, told me you were going right. to do this. You were going to send me the official offer. We didn't get that for you, but, but I need to let you know. And I need to talk to you in person. 
And I think it's going to be a life lesson. Like she needs to do it in person, in, in, at least over the phone. I agree completely. And by her doing this, she hopefully will open the door back up again for when she does want to and has the ability to take that position. Right. Because otherwise, with that text, that's a closed door. Right. And they're also interviewing a 16-year-old kid, so you start giving people grace. But I'm like, if I tell her that's okay now, mm-hmm. at 16, she's going to do it at 18 and at 28 and whatever. She's going to break up with people via text. Listen, stop it. But, like, that's another one I, mean, I just you, don't understand. date via text now. And I'm like, that doesn't yeah. count. <laughs> well, if you ask the 16-year-olds, it kind of counts. I'm like, have you ever met this boy? Um, well, on yeah. Snapchat. Yeah, Snapchat. And we're in English together. <laughs> like, no. Hey, listen, they actually may have had more communication than people who passed notes when we were in high school. So I don't know. I mean, that's true, too. <laughs> so we got to kind of adapt with the adaptation a little bit. But okay, cowards send emails and cowards text. Yes, hearing the inflection in in somebody's voice and hearing that from that person, I think makes, makes a every- huge difference. Oh my gosh, how about I had family members who didn't even call me on my birthday. You mentioned this too, and I thought to myself when I read it, my my immediate thought was like, oh crap, I think I just did a Facebook post too, right? <laughs> And, and not, not that I'm expecting everybody to, because I do a lot of. Yeah. Te- I, I have love. Number. But I love texting, yeah. and I, I am a big texter and a big emailer, and I send that out to a lot of clients. You know, I have thousands of clients, so I do send it out that way, so okay. I can get to everyone. But there is a difference in hearing someone's voice. So True. if you have the ability, especially those people that are in your circle, yes, I feel like it does make a big difference to make a phone call on the birthday. Make yes. a phone call when there's something going on. Yes. You know, if there's, and it's hard. Is it hard when somebody has a loss in the family? And to call them up and say, my condolences. And I learned this from my mom. Uh, and I don't, I don't think I wrote this in the book. It was a, a story I thought about putting in the book. When I got divorced, I was, I said to my mom, you know, traditional Italian Catholic family. And I said, mom, I feel like nobody is talking to me right now. My cousins aren't coming around, you know. And she's like, well, Deanna. I don't think you have this in the book. No. And she said, she says, uh, well, Deanna, she says, you know what? I think it's kind of, and I said, even, I feel like my mom and dad are avoiding me. And she says, well, Deanna, she says, think of it like when somebody has a a death in the Mm -hmm. family, their spouse dies. She says, they, you know, other people don't know what to say and are afraid they're going to say the wrong thing. So they say nothing at all. And she says, I think that's where a lot of people are right now. There's a lot of people in our family who weren't divorced, so they didn't know how what to say and how to navigate that. And they were afraid of saying the wrong thing. And she's like, so give them some grace. And I was like, oh, okay. Okay. I get it. I get what you're saying, Mom. I get it. But I will say this. The best thing that was ever said to me, by the way, everybody's trying to figure out what do I say when somebody gets divorced. Yes. Okay. One of my friend's fathers, I saw him a couple days after I got divorced. And you know what he said? comes right up to me and he says, congratulations and my condolences. <laughs> I was like, that is the perfect sentiment. Yes. I was like, because I'm sad, but at the same time, I'm glad, it, you know, this, yes. this You're phase, closing a chapter. this chapter is over, but I'm, you know, I'm sad at the it's same true. time. And he, he had it absolutely right. So I use that phrase all the time when I see somebody going through congratulations that. Congratulations and, and my, my condolences. condolences. Yes. Both at the same time, because it's a it's a situation, and a lot of times you don't know if they're happy about it or if they're really sad. And I think that anybody that goes through it, even if they wanted the situation, I think that they there's a bit of them that is sad. So I never thought of it, 
Um, I have not been through a divorce, but you are not the only person who has said this about the friend groups, the isolationism that mm. ends up happening um, when people go through a divorce. Oh, yeah. And I'm always, and, and I am lucky with my husband, and I feel like Greg is the same way. Mm-hmm. Greg's my new husband. Yes. For everybody. Yes. Yet. Yes. <laughs> so um, when we're out, we don't care when we're with like our spouses if we have a friend with us. There's no like I mean of course there's still date nights and stuff like that but there we're all together. It's a circle of friends, everything. So the last thing I think of with anybody is isolating them. I'm always people need to be out. People need to have the distraction. They need to remember all the good things that they're enjoying and they need to know it's okay to laugh. It's okay to grieve and it's okay to be sad, but it's also okay to laugh. And that's, and that's also when with death, Mm. it's okay to smile and remember the good things. Yes. Yes. I feel like people have this stigma of, I have to be sad. And if I, if I laugh, if I smile, um, that I'm not respecting. Right. And kind of stomping on their grave, yes. so to speak. Right. Listen, when I pass, I want people to roar. Oh, I said, bro, I'm not having a funeral. I want everybody to just have a party. That's the same thing. Yeah. Like have fun. Nobody see, needs to see me laid up nope. anywhere. Nope. No, just go have fun. Right. That's it. Like have good bonds and relationships, create more memories. Like you don't need me in the room for that. Yeah. I'll be there. Up above, looking down. Well, I think when we go back to that story of divorce, though, I think that one of the things that a lot of people that I know that have gone through divorces, I think what happens is, is they feel like, oh, he, he got those friends in the divorce and I got these friends. And I think there is a bit of that depending on your friend group. And any of the the friends that have to be on both sides, I think it's hard for them too. So you have to give them grace. I mean, they're, they're in this situation and they may know information. And I I just had, I just had, um, a little get together with a friend of mine who was recently divorced and, and she said something about that, about this, this set of friends that is friends with both of them. And she's like, well, why wouldn't you speak up about this? And they, they, they are stuck as well. Mm -hmm. And I think the person that's going through the pain of the divorce has to realize that some of those friends are in a really awkward position because they may know some truths about somebody that are negative and they're trying to be a good friend to them. But at the same time, how do you so that's respect actually, the other friend? So that's really, that's a good question. So I have a friend that recently went through a divorce. And same dynamic that you're talking about of who gets who in friendship groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and the spouse is kind of a split either to either direction as well. Now, her group will tell her what they find out Mm. from the other group and say, well, he's been saying this. He's been doing that. And in my world, I would automatically shut those women out of my life. Yep. Like I, I wouldn't, you're not, you're not supporting my bubble. Mm. You're making sure one can't be formulated. Wow. Like that's like, so what are your thoughts on that? Of like the, cause I, again, I don't think people realize what they're doing. 
I think that they're thinking they're being supportive. I think that they're tearing her down. I think that I don't know enough about the situation yeah. to make a good assessment <laughs> on that because we're talking in hypotheticals. But yes. and so I think each such situation is different. I mean, some divorces are very amicable mm-hmm. and everything plays out very well. And so yes. there's it's very different. And you can have the congruent friend groups. Mm-hmm. But I also understand even in the most amicable, they can fall apart because of the friend groups. What, the the oh you're saying that yes. the friend groups can follow the friendship. Like one of my favorite things I love that you put in the book was when you were talking about Ellie and Sarah mm. and how everybody and it was when you have because this is relationships in general. This isn't just spousals. This is relationships in general. Mm-hmm. And when one friend has an issue with another friend, don't go to another friend about it. Bring it up. To that friend. Right. So that's deal direct. So let's tell the story because yeah. yes. they if everybody hasn't read the book, they don't know what we're talking about. So I have a good friend of ours, Ellie, her other friend, Sarah. Mm-hmm. So there's the three of us, the three friends. And Sarah and I were alone one day and she said, oh, you know, how do you think Ellie feels about X, Y, Z? And mm-hmm. I said, and I had talked to Ellie about this and I knew what Ellie had thought about it, but I didn't feel it was my place to reveal what Ellie thought. And I said, mm-hmm. you know what, Sarah, you know what? I do know what she thinks. I said, but I think it would be best if you hear it from her about, and it wasn't about themselves. It was about a whole other topic. And I said, but I think that you should ask her about it. And I think that's a really good idea. So Sarah goes to Ellie and Sarah says, Hey, Ellie, you know, I was wondering what you thought about this. And I, and she, and she tells her and mm-hmm. fills her in and she's like, Oh, wow. Okay. She says, well, you know what? I actually, she goes, by the way, Deanna's a really great friend. She says, because I asked her about this because we were just randomly having a glass Mm -hmm. of wine and having a conversation. And I asked her about it and came up and she told me, she, she, she goes, oh yeah, I've talked to Deanna about this. She says, oh yeah, but she wouldn't say a word. She was a total vault. Yeah. She says she was a total vault and said, why don't you talk to Ellie directly? And it made their friendship closer because Ellie shared with her Mm -hmm. what, what she was feeling about this topic. And, and first of all, I think that a lot of times it starts from the time we're very little girls, right? That there is this whole, you know, this girl said this about this girl and that girl said this about that girl. I think and boys do the same thing. Boys do the same thing. It does happen. It doesn't matter the gender. It's very true. It's just re- reactions to it are different. But if you deal direct, I mean, if, if you ever, I remember being in grade school and they taught us the game of telephone on purpose oh, yes. to teach us communication. Mm-hmm. So they went around the room, there were 20 people and the teacher wrote something on a piece of paper and gave it to the first kid. Mm-hmm. And then he whispered it to the next one, to the next one, to the next one. It goes all the way around the room. And at the end, the last kid had to write down on the paper the message that they got. And the message that they got was completely different than the message that the teacher wrote on the that's piece exactly of paper. Right. And that's what they call the game of telephone, meaning in communication, people will misinterpret what they heard. And therefore, the message may get delivered differently. And I'll never forget that lesson. And I remember the teacher very specifically. And uh, by the way, Kathy Russo, that's who it was. And I remember (laughs) it very, 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 very specifically. And so, and I remember that and thinking, wow, always be careful what you think somebody said. Mm -hmm. And so when you deal direct and and when people come to me in my office and they say, well, this person said this and that person said that, you know, and I'm the one in charge. So they come to me and I'm like, (laughs) I'm not dealing with that. And they said, what? What? But you're in charge. I said, 
No, no, you need to go deal direct. That's a personal issue. Yes. You think this person said this and they made you feel that way? Then go talk to them about it. Yes. I said, if you talk to them, no, I haven't talked to them. I go, you think I'm going to go do it for you? I'm not going to go do it for you. You need to go deal with it. Mm-hmm. And when you deal with them directly, maybe what you'll find out is they didn't say this about you. Because I think of that game of telephone around that, of that around that whatever it was, fourth or fifth grade, you know, All classroom. And I always take in consideration who's telling me something. Mm, there's that too. There is that too. Yes. You will find out over time that there are some people that mishear. We'll, we'll, mm-hmm. get, we'll get, at this, at this phase yes. of my life, I know that it's a hearing issue too. Yes. They may mishear, mm-hmm. misinterpret, and the way that they interpret things may be different than you would interpret it. A hundred percent. Based on how they feel. Exactly. And I have learned to, in the most polite way, discount and move on. Take a moment. You also have that in your book, too. What, what's the chapter title? It is um, when it is don't like basically don't let it weigh on you like you like move on. Oh, which one? Which, well, there were so many of these. Um, sometimes not, not the sometimes it's change your friends is change your friends, which no, would the the, move on. Now we got, now we got to look. I There's know, so many yeah. good ones. We've hit them I so know, many. I know. Um, where is it? By the way, I this do is talk about that. 27 amazing chapters for everyone out there. Walk it off. Is it? Walk oh, it was off? it? What was it? Was walk it, walk it, it off? off. Like basically like, yeah, there's... Well, you have these moments of crap that gets thrown on you. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was the donkey in the well. Yes. That's what it was. It was the story walk, of the walk, walk it, it off. off. Okay, so now we got to tell the donkey in the well story. Okay. All right, have you, and had you heard that story before? No, I haven't. Oh, there I got my crabs. Of, I got my, there's a lot of animals. <laughs> yes, there are. By the way, before the donkey, there was horses. <laughs> and, and, and there's also the, the dog story, the dog in the <laughs> yes, fence, yes. and there's some butterflies. And yes. yes, I like fables, apparently, with animals. <laughs> Maybe I need to have stuffed animals that I sell along with the book, right? You, could. you can give them away. Be like, yes. I thought of you when I thought of the donkey. Yes. So the donkey in the well is a great story. Right. In the crabs, right? Yeah. I could see a cute little red crab all yeah, fuzzy and like, totally. yeah, and you've got to hug awesome. up, like hug the you crabs. You have a bunch of people in Maryland buying the book. Oh, yeah. You t- that's very true. Take the crabs <laughs> with you, though. Yeah. I think that if you teach some of the crabs, by the way, that they can come with you, it makes them feel more comfortable. But that's a, okay. that's, a, but we, we, we digress. We digress. Okay. So donkey in the well. Yeah. And, and this happens to people all the time, I think. And so they're the donkey, okay? So there's a donkey and the farmer. And the donkey and the farmer are best of friends. And they are so tight. Well, one day the donkey falls down a well. And so he's crying and screaming, hoping that his yeah. friend the farmer is going to hear him. And all of a sudden, he hears his friend the farmer up above. And he says, I'm going to help you. But next thing he knows, he feels dirt falling down on top of him. And he gets us so upset. He says, my friend... It's just going to bury me in the well. Mm-hmm. He's going to leave me here. I thought he was my friend. I'm so sad. He's throwing this junk on top of me and he's going to bury me here. And at first the, the donkey was so sad and he kind of just sat there and was crying. And as more and more dirt fell on him and as night fell and it's dark, he he's getting mad and he's stomping his feet and he's shaking off all this dirt that's hitting his back. Yeah. And he's so mad and he's so mad and he's so sad and so sad. And as daylight came, 
what he realized is he kept doing that and he kept kind of just pounding, you know, his feet and stomping his feet, pissed off at the farmer, his friend. And when he got, when daylight came, what he realized was, is every time that the farmer threw some more dirt into the well, he was actually stepping up and growing Mm -hmm. and rising through the well. And so he was able to walk out of the well himself. And here's the farmer exhausted all night long, had been throwing dirt in the well to help the donkey. And he didn't realize it at the time. He thought that these things that were happening to him and being piled on to him were, were was going to bury him. Yep. And I think that happens in life, whether you want to look at that spiritually, yes. you know, is it these things that are happening in your life and are being piled on you, you think they're happening to you. And in reality, they're happening for you to step up and step out of what you're dealing with. I do agree with that completely. I really do. And and sometimes it's hard to hear God does not give us what we cannot handle. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when you're in the moment. Right. I always heard this great phrase was sorrow is a fruit and God does not let it grow on a branch that is too weak to bear it. That's right? another one. That's a good one, isn't that it? Is a, that's I not did in the not. Book. No, I didn't create that one. <laughs> that's not one of my phrases. It was something I had heard, and and I always held on to that quote. I love that quote. Mm-hmm. It's a good one. But it's true. Now, I'm also one of those people that will give people time, and I give myself time. That did you ever see Yaya Sisterhood? Oh my God! No, that's is that the one with the pants? No, no, that's a different that's one. The, the sisterhood, pants. the sisterhood of the traveling pants. So, yeah, yeah, I feel like I've seen it, but I don't remember it. Is with Sandra Bullock. Okay. And oh, I forget her mom in the movie, but she says she likes to chew on a problem until she takes out all the flavor, mm. and then she wears it in her hair. <laughs> mm. she chews on the problem until she wears out all the flavor but then she keeps it in her hair yeah so so she's still going to put it on display put so, the problem well, on, on display. display so everyone can see what the problem is she's going to kill it beyond belief until there's nothing left of it you know the friend that will after like two months of an incident that happened she'll still or he'll still talk yeah. about it and you're like aren't we over this now right they they never move on, never and so that so she's saying this about someone else. She's saying this is what she does. Oh, and that she wears the gum in <laughs> yeah, her hair yeah. and like lets it just be yeah, yeah. terrible so for the world to see the trauma and the plight of she what I at. went through. Yes, wow, there are like you're you're right. I think that you know it's interesting because we talked about the other dynamic. There's mm-hmm. a lot of people that what they do is they hide the trauma because they want people to see them in, in their, their best selves. And then you they don't the want other. people to see the, their worst selves. And then you have some people that say, they I want need the world to know. They want the world to know the gum is in their hair and this, this problem mm-hmm. that they had. Exactly. Because I think that person, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that that person is saying, I need help. Mm-hmm. I think that's what's happening there is they're saying, I need help. And I think I, those people say, I need well, if you watch Somebody the movie, I don't think she was saying I need uh, help. She was saying I, I like to take things a little too far. <laughs> oh, is that what is that what it was? I haven't watched the movie, it's so that one. that there it's may be that one. too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but that is true. There are those, and I do think that people need to listen mm. to be able to hear people say when they need help. Because people say they need help in different ways. They do. Because like a I, lot of times they don't say I need help. <laughs> like I, I watched the Anthony Bourdain mm. documentary. Mm, I haven't seen it. Prime. 
And now granted, editing everything makes things more prominent and more in your face. Mm. But you hear and see these clips of him before like the, the actual production or an email was sent. And that man was crying for help. But you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, so that people didn't see it I, beforehand. This is why we always need to make sure we listen. Wow. But um. Wow, that's yes. But I do think, in general, going back to what I was saying before, was I do give people time of being like, and myself time of being like, when an incident has happened, which is frustrating, or you're let down, or you hear something, or whatever it may be, or you made a mistake. Or another person made a mistake that's impacting you. I am a firm believer that you're allowed to be upset, but only for a period of time. You know, that's interesting. We were talking about this the other day. My my aunts being from the old country in Italy, they, you know, we, we were talking about some of um, family members and so forth that lost their spouses and how they would wear black for oh, a year. Yes, a whole year. Well, then my, my dad said, oh, yeah, but there were these other ones, and they wore black for 50 years, you know? <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, really? You know, I, I remember my one aunt wearing black for a year. And and I think you everyone needs to give themselves a mourning time. And, yes. And, and for whatever they're going through. They're, you could be mourning a friendship loss. Mm-hmm. You could be mourning, a, you know, a divorce. You could be mourning yes. a loss of, of a human, you know, and a death. But I don't think that time frame is the same for each person. It's not. But I do tell people this financially. If you have lost a spouse, I think that one of the things I always tell people is don't make a big decision. Hopefully you were financially in a position to not have to make a big decision for at least one year. It's true. And I give that one year because I think in that one year period, so much changes and you change as you're going through mourning. This includes selling a house. Yeah. Do not make any financial decisions for one year. That's not the But first talk time to I your financial out. advisor because there's some people that end up losing the house because they did, weren't in a position to be able to maintain the house on their own. So okay. there there are That's some fair. people, there are some I don't want them to have to sell the house. Hopefully mm-hmm. they had life insurance and were set to be in a position where they don't have to sell the house for at least one year. However, there are times where it's like, no, you need a for sale sign in the yard tomorrow. Yes. Or you're going to be on the street. Like, hey, if we sell it now, you're going to make a profit, blah, blah, blah. Otherwise, the bank is taking this house in a few months, right? And I've, and I've seen these situations. So it depends how you've planned financially if selling the house is right for you during well, the morning I period. Say, I hope that people do engage a financial planner, an advisor, because there is a lot of, there's a lot more dynamic and layers to everything yes and and you may not be in the right space to make the decision uh, yourself you need advisement i recently found out my um time off from work how that has impacted my social security wow because there's a period of time where i'm not putting money in and not even thinking about that because i did i took um i decided to be a stay-at-home mom right i think i lasted Maybe nine months, <laughs> which, by the way, is literally the hardest job that there is in the world. I have so much respect for women who stick it through because I did quite quit. <laughs> <laughs> you quite quit. But, yeah. but, um, but I didn't realize the financial impact. I mean, I knew about 
the upward climbing mobility impact that would have on me. Mm -hmm. But I didn't realize the other portion of everything that I've been putting into my 401k, the Mm -hmm. social security, all those fun things that, that are deducted from our paychecks. Because again, I was still in the corporate world. Right. Um, I didn't realize because of that time period off how that impacts me to this day. Well, and I have a whole presentation that yeah. I do for women's groups on finance. And, it's, and I don't remember all the statistics off the top of my head, but it's very true. There's multiple reasons why women retire with way less money than men. And, mm-hmm. and one of them has to do with we take more time off for raising children. Mm-hmm. We take time off to take care of our parents. True. So therefore, your social security is less Therefore, the money that we put into 401ks and retirement plans is less. We also have a tendency to invest more conservatively than our male counterparts. Yes, this is true. And then in addition to all that, we have a tendency to be paid less. Mm -hmm. And there is an income disparity and there's numbers on all that. And I know some Mm -hmm. people say that's not true and it is true. And there's this whole, but typically it's because you've had less experience Mm -hmm. or you have taken that time off and therefore you're getting paid less or you're taking a, a job that has more flexibility, yes. so therefore you're getting paid less. There's all kinds of reasons for it and statistics yes. on this. But what ends up happening at retirement is women typically have way less saved, way less benefits than our male counterparts. And so women really do need to make sure that they have a financial plan. And don't just let your husband say, oh, my gosh, well, we've got the go- – my golfing buddy totally takes care of it. Does he really take care of it? Oh, I agree. You know, I've had multiple women who's like, oh, they say, oh, well, we've got life insurance. My husband says we have life insurance. And then he retires. Two weeks later, he dies. And then they said, well, he says we have life insurance. And I'm like, well, he's no longer employed at that job. So you don't have anything. And you're 10 years younger and you're not going to get a social security until you hit this, you know, until you hit age 60. And they're like, what? Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of dynamics there that just be informed. There's a lot of information out there. And this is when I'm going to circle back to what Deanna said, where you are weak, bring someone else on who is strong. Absolutely. I mean, that's, it's so true. If you do that in any part of your life, play to your strength. It's okay to play to your strength. It's it's okay to not try to be the best at everything. You know, I I hear all the time people come in in January and they're like, I'm going to, I'm going to get my finances together and I'm going to do this. And then they, you know, by mid January, they're like, this is crappy and I don't know what I'm doing. And I have no idea. And I went to all these calculators online and now I'm overwhelmed. And I said, okay, I'm a professional at this. This is what I do. Would you do surgery on yourself? No. Okay. It's not a good idea. No. Not a good idea, right? You should not have the scalpel and be doing the anesthesia and doing surgery on yourself. Why wouldn't you trust somebody who's a professional who does it every day? I not agree more. And I think the reason people don't is because they think it's going to cost too much. And there are ways of getting financial advisement out there for no cost. Now, there are certain income levels for some companies. Other companies have no... You you could be at dollar one and be able to get financial advice. And I do think we all need it. Everybody does. Yes. Uh, I'm also a big proponent of teaching kids too. So, Oh, I'm a huge proponent. Yeah. We were talking about, yeah. A huge proponent. And part of that is because when I went to school, it was not a component that Mm -hmm. we had. So, and I know the impact because my, I just mentioned social security, my lack of knowledge of knowing decisions that I am making today and how that's going to impact the future. And, and I will say this, I mean, the state of Ohio that we're in, 
they are trying. They have put, you know, financial education as something that these schools have to do, which is great. But I don't think that they have a, a very solid curriculum. I've had a lot of the teachers come to me and say, um, I'm teaching gym or health or whatever they're teaching. And now they put me in charge of personal finance. And they're like, I don't even have my own financial stuff together. How do I do this? Yeah. I am going to say this before we go, because the next thing I'm going to do is also ask you to come back on, because I do want to talk more because we did not deep dive on the money lady. And I do want in to the financial up. stuff. I, I know we kind of, it kind of got all pulled in there, didn't I it? I know. But so I am going to ask you to come back. Um, but I do want to say this in regards to what you were just mentioning about teachers being pulled into something where they're not expertise either. I don't, I would not be able to teach a finance class. Mm. I would not be able to teach a law class. There, biology, there's a magnitude I wouldn't be able to teach. But what they do have are resources all around the community. Mm-hmm. I think about our university and I remember having an econ professor or an econ teacher right. that actually did not have, he wasn't a PhD. So you can pull in the resources around the community who are the experts in the field that I'm sure would be willing Absolutely. to show up at that class, just like at the university, mm-hmm. show up in the class There's to a, teach these kids what they need to know. There, there are great organizations like Junior Achievement. Mm-hmm. I've been on their board and they do a great job of doing financial education. And then also there are financial advisors like myself and others that would come in and teach. And what I'm put one of the things that we're putting in place this year and started working with the the library system is we're going to be offering a money masterclass. So people can come in for free and just learn a different financial topic each week. And then what Is there any age group stipulations? No. Oh. I don't care if I'm sitting next to a six-year-old. Right. <laughs> I, I mean, I, the, the library asked me that. And they're like, what's the age? I said, listen, my 12-year-old, she knew these concepts. So, And was teaching them in a class. She had to do a presentation. I said, but somebody could be 80 and learn these oh, concepts. Yeah. I said, so I don't feel like there's an age stipulation. But we're developing something now where teachers will be able to go go through some different um, classes cool. and modules. So those teachers that do have to teach finance would be able to sit through that, learn some of the basic con- concepts that are in that first book and, and some other ones that need to be taught to these kids at that basic level. You know, I, somebody said to me the other day, oh, can you give my kid advice? They're choosing stocks in this class. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's wonderful. They're choosing stocks in yeah. the class. And I'm thinking, but do they even know how to balance a checkbook yet? Probably not. No. They probably don't even know that yet. I'm like, I, I would really love to talk to the teacher. I want to find out what the kids know already before we got there. And then we can kind of talk about that. And that's that's all good. But, you know, let's make sure they, they know how to get a job too. We, I think those are some yes. good life skills. Yes. And don't quit via text or email. Like th- those are some basics we need yes. to put into the, the curriculum. Which it's surprising that, that that needs to be communicated, but it does need to be communicated. It, it needs to be communicated to people of all ages, but yes. because it's become easier yes. to do it that way. And and I understand legally why some people put that in writing and that's fine. No, no, no. It's called the follow-up email. Follow-up. Thank you. The from, follow-up email. From the conversation. Uh, yes. That is your legal protection. Exactly. When you have the conversation with the other person, just following up. And then this, type email. Yep. These are the things that we discussed. Mm-hmm. Period. Yep. That's what you do. I cannot stand. I really can't. Like the text, the email. I do not like... 
actually, these are other things I talked about in the seed. I am not a proponent of the um, the app for group texting. Okay, I, do. I love it. Sorry. No, no. Why? Like, it de- but, well, it depends it what depends you're doing. It depends on what it is. It depends what, what, what you're doing. if you're trying to send me a personal note and it's not a personal note, it's to like 50 other people, then I'm no, like... No, not, not a personal, but there's group messages so, for groups so, for a reason, I think. So I have received text messages that seemingly oh, are I get what you're saying. personal like hey like i'm reaching out to you personally when in reality uh, 50 other people are receiving the same text all right i don't know if we're talking about the same thing but one of my great mentors says and he's talking to a group of a thousand people and he says if i hit you i didn't mean to miss you and what he means by that is if i say you know, you need to improve in this area and you feel like I'm talking to you directly and you feel like I'm trying to point you out. No, 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 no. I wasn't trying to point you out, but apparently you needed to hear this. <laughs> so I, and I, I have done that with my agents where I have sent out a group message and someone says, well, why would you do that on group message? I go, what do you mean? And they're like, and I was like a coaching tip for the day. Da, 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 da. And they're like, well, you know, that's speaking directly to me. I said, well, good. Oh, well, good. I said, actually, it was about somebody else, but you're feeling that way too? Yeah. And they said, well, yeah, but like, I felt like you, you know, blasted me to group. I go, I didn't blast you. I was actually about some other person. Yeah. <laughs> and I, so I said, but I had seen this happening over and over and over again, like sending an email versus making a phone, whatever yes. it was. And I said, so uh, I actually didn't know you were feeling that way. Yeah. And, and so let's talk about that. But you know, this does need to be corrected with our whatever it could have been, you know. So that's a team text. Team text. So that's different. Okay. I'm talking about like there, group. really there's no reason for the text like a Merry Christmas mm. and then a like trying to tweak it to make it sound like it's personal to you. Oh. But it's not. It's actually going to Were they all, 20 other people. Was it going to 20? Like did you know it was going to 20 people? I did not. Oh. Okay. So it's a let me make you think this. Now, if it was, I saw the 20 other people on the text, a okay, so that's happy okay. holidays or whatever, then yes, that's okay. So that's, wait, I got... I so do that a million wait, times. Wait, you're saying this and I'm giggling inside. You want to know why? Well, you uh, do so, this. No, I've done it. <laughs> but listen, I had good intentions. So we, my now husband, we get engaged in Italy and we decide we're going to pull off a wedding in like three and a half weeks. Yeah. I don't have time to send out invitations. Oh, by the way, and we're going to do the wedding on Thanksgiving weekend. Okay. Okay. So now it's November like 4th and we decide Thanksgiving week. So we have yeah. 20 days to plan a wedding dress, all this stuff. Right. And, um, I texted out my invitations. That's fine. Now my older aunts, I did send well, them a personal invitation. Yes. I made, I made, I made yeah. a few, there were like 10 people who got like a, a physical invitation because they don't text. Right. Yeah. And I texted everybody else and I did group text and I was kind of embarrassed because I don't, but, but you know what? I needed to be able to get it out as fast as yes. possible. And, and it was a, Hey, this is impromptu. We're getting married. Here's the, here's the deal. I don't have time for invitations, but we hope you'll join us. So that's also a little bit different. Okay. Is it different? Cause it now is. I'm feeling a little guilty. No, okay. No, that one's totally yeah. different than what you're talking about. I mean, that is like, if I sat there and sent out a group text to you, Ellie, and like everyone else, it was like, um, Hey, let's do dinner someplace or blah, blah, that's blah. That's cool. That's different. I'm t- I'm saying 
Giving the illusion. Okay. Giving if, the illusion yes. that it's that it's individual, but it's not. Exactly. Are we? Are you allowed to do it professionally? If you have like a thousand clients and you okay. send out are the we, one, are we talking about like the whole? There's the services. Like, are you, this with this? This is bothers my, you. This is my sun and shade. Like so, this is what my sun and shade is all about. Is those the three D printers that hold hold the pen that could mimic your handwriting? Ooh. Team is totally going to start doing this. (laughs) So I've seen that. Like I'm just to print, can send a note, and it looks like it's like I signed it. Yes. So it's not just the signature; it's everything top to bottom. They're Mm -hmm. able to program and mimic your script, Mm -hmm. and it's handwriting Mm -hmm. all the way down. I'm in. I'm sorry. She's totally in. I'm against it because I feel like if you're writing a note to someone, it's supposed to be personal. But what if the what if the content is? But if not, if you're mass producing it, it's not personal. So like, so, so this is why I stopped sending out uh, Christmas cards, everyone. I love you all. But there are certain balls in my life that got lost in the ball pit. Oh, that's fine. The Christmas cards and the hand. I used to be a good handwritten card person. Yeah. I, it's gotten to the point. It's too many people. Like that's then don't do it at all. Don't do it. But don't make people believe that they're receiving something handwritten by you and it not So I really... should just send it typed? Y- yes. Okay, so that's okay. So I can send you the Christmas card Type. that absolutely looks Sign like it. it's pre-printed. Yes. But I shouldn't spend the extra money to have it in my handwriting. No. Okay, I get it. No. I understand the I, offensiveness. I feel... <laughs> Sorry. I can understand. I, get, I, I feel like you're faking it. <laughs> okay, so that's in the book too. Don't I fake know. it. Yeah. Don't fake it till you make yes. it. But what you can it? act as if. Act as if. All right, let's talk but, about this. This but, is this is interesting. This, but this isn't acting as if. Well, it is acting as if, but not in a good way. Not <laughs> in a good way. Okay, but that's fake it till you make it. Okay, so let's talk. There is People don't understand this concept. So fake it till you make it is, I think there are a lot Which, of... by the way, I say this often when I try to play golf. <laughs> okay. So if you fake it, fake it till you make it, what ends up happening, it's going to mess up your golf game because you're going to have imposter syndrome, right? And so imposter syndrome is when oh, you yes. feel like a fraud, yes. so therefore your self-confidence goes down, like we said about keeping promises yeah. to yourself. So imposter syndrome happens to so many people nowadays because... It's true. It, you know, they're putting this out, maybe they're putting things on social media, mm-hmm. they want to have people see the happy parts of their life, but they're not, you yes. know, ever talking about the sad. And, and by the way, there's ways to communicate without complaining about your situation. True. And so I think that, you know, when you're communicating these things out to the public and, and so forth, there's, you got to be careful not to fake it till you make it. Yes. Because you will then start to suffer from imposter syndrome and people will see through what's happening and we'll find out that you're a fraud and then you're going to feel bad. It's true. Now you can. That's why I utilize it just for golf. Just for golf. Just for golf. Just for golf. Yes. But. I say at least dress the end. Well, no, 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 we're going to, we're going to, I think you're acting as if, and let's talk about what act as if is. So you've got the high school kid who wants to be an NFL star. Mm -hmm. So he should act as if he already is one, meaning presenting himself and handling himself appropriately mm-hmm. and socially as if he's already a superstar. Somebody who's going to be, a, says, I want to be a mother, then handle yourself that way and don't have nudie pictures you don't want your kids to see 30 years from now on True. the internet, right? Or whatever it may be. There are different ways that you can act as if you're already in possession of the goal. It's true. And conduct and, yourself. And, and I'm a, a what, reactive, reactive memory. Mm. So if you say to yourself, 
not I hope to be a doctor, but I will be a doctor. I am. Then do you even take uh, it one yeah. step further? You should your your neuro linguistic programming yes. says I am a doctor. And then all of a sudden your world around you right. becomes exactly what you're telling yourself. And but if you say hope, it's not gonna be around. Because you're gonna continue to hope and continue to hope and continue to hope. And it'll never be there. It'll never be there. I have so I could write a whole book about this, by the way, about yeah. b- about bringing into your life what you desire mm-hmm. and really developing that. And I, I'm going to tell an interesting story. I know we're probably running out of time because we've, we've been talking for a while. I know. But I, so I, when I did get divorced and I was going through, I went to a Tony Robbins seminar. Who I love. Isn't he fantastic? He, you know, I thought he was all hype. No and then hype. I, and then I heard him cause I've never heard him direct. Oh wow. But I um, heard him on Rachel, your last name she wrote girl stop apologizing mm, i don't know um also a good book but she was on he was on her podcast okay and i was listening to him speak and i was like god damn it he is good yeah he's great he really is and and this is one of the things i really enjoy about him is what he does is he doesn't give you advice he let he lets you give yourself mm-hmm. advice and so part of the part of the program was to kind of write down, you know, some of your goals and what you were looking for. And I was fresh out of my divorce and I was, you know, had my my work goals and all that. And but at some point during that, I wrote down this list of what would be my ideal relationship. And so I wrote all these things down of my ideal relationship. I mean, everything from the, what the person would look like to how the they would treat luggage. me. Oh, yes, the sexy luggage. <laughs> We're going to talk about sexy luggage. I mean, I wrote it all down, right? And I have this very descript- descriptive idea of yeah. what I wanted, which seems so pie in the sky. Like, you're never going to find somebody like that. And I'd put it into this folder that I have. This says goals and dreams. And I had stuck it in there. Didn't even think about it. Years go by. And I start dating this guy, my neighbor, and I'm dating him. And a couple of months, I'm like, wow, this is really going well. And I happened to be looking through one of these folders that I have. And I found this list and it said my ideal man. And I read it and I got a little sick to my stomach because mm-hmm. I was like, whoa, I wrote this years ago and I wrote and had described him. It was if I wrote it. So then, so I give it to him that later that day. And he reads it. He goes, oh, you wrote this about me. I said, no, no, no. I wrote this years before you. Mm-hmm. But whether you call that manifestation and you're manifesting it or you're attracting it, but I had put into my mind and in my what idea of what my idea, what, you know, what my ideal person was that I would wanted in my life. And then I didn't settle until I found it. I didn't realize it wasn't like reading it aloud as a affirmation every day. I kind of stuck it in a drawer and put it there and had it in my mind that that was what I wanted. And I ended up attracting it into my life. Yeah, it's true. Mm -hmm. It works. Just an FYI. It does. I truly believe it works. And and you can call it prayer for those that believe in that. It's prayer. You can call it, you know, the neuro-linguistic programming has that in there. Anything you want. Just physics. Just right? do it. Quantum physics about the law of yeah. attraction and all that. Those all come mm-hmm. together in any way that you see it. And it, you can attract, in, attract into your life what you want, it's even true. when you feel like it's impossible. It's true. I think that's a great note to end on. Ooh. So, Deanna, you will be back, right? Oh, absolutely. And wh- ooh, where can people get 
your book. They can get No Justifications as well as The Gift of Money, the first book, but the, the bestseller, mm-hmm. The No Justifications, both on Amazon. So if they don't know how to spell it, just go on to Amazon and look for Deanna Rossi and you'll find both of them. Perfect. Yeah, that's easy. So that's... Honestly, it's definitely one of those books to have and one of those books that you, you will find yourself sifting back through because there are going to be triggers and moments in your life that you're going to be like, wait a second. Or, and you'll definitely, although you should buy the book, but you're, you'll definitely find yourself sitting next to a friend and telling them they need to read the book. And that's when you know it's a really good book. Oh, why thanks. I, and that's what I hope is that people give it to people as a gift. I yes. think that, you know, whether you have a friend that's going through something hard or just accomplish something, or yes. you have a kid that's, you know, graduating or yes. whether they're in high school and say, hey, maybe you need to, to read this yes. and it'll give them a different perspective than the way that they're looking at things right now. It's true. And not only that, it'll save you a little hardship along the way. Well, and I mean, right? we didn't, yeah, it, it will. And I hope that it, that it does for people. I mean, I, we didn't even talk about how I There's ended up. a lot. Yeah, how I wrote the book. I wrote I the know. book. I had just had yeah. a stroke and I couldn't. And I'm sitting in a dark room and I wrote it talk to text. So, so. so I'm not going to lie. I'm one who normally skips the preface. <laughs> <laughs> did you skip the preface? In no, this one? I did you not. You can't. You can't. Like I, the preface so, is like, the, I should have called it chapter one. But. I was like, this is truly a preface. Like, because right. sometimes like prefaces are it's all like, like I the thank sci- you. Yeah. Like the, or the scientific information that was mm-hmm. brought that like, but this is truly a preface of everything else. Right. And um, so don't skip the preface. Don't skip the preface. And and how, I mean, literally, like I said at the beginning, she just said the talk to text as she sat in a room in the dark. And what are you going to do when you're in the dark? Like, you, you can't watch a movie. You can't be on your phone. I'm, I was twiddling my thumbs. I couldn't. What was I going to do? Curl up and cry? Sleep. <laughs> I don't know how to do that either, Lisa. I don't. I've never known how to sleep. So, but there is a great book called Sleep Smarter. I didn't write that one, but somebody else did. It was really fantastic. Oh, it, has, it has helped me sleep. It's a very good book. Oh, good. Yeah. All right. I'll have to check that one out. You have too. to check that out. It's on my list of recommended books. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. Where could people find a list? Of oh, my books? list of my recommended books yes. would be on my website. So you can just go on there and you'll see my list of recommended books. DeannaRossi.com. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. I can't wait till you come back. And um, you're an absolutely amazing, amazing, inspirational woman. So thank you. And I think the same of you. So I love everything that you've done and how you're inspiring so many people. So thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you, everyone, for listening in to The Seed. If you'd like to receive our weekly newsletter, go to dandelion-inc.com and click Let's Connect. And please be sure to subscribe to The Seed's monthly podcast to hear more inspiring stories from other badass women that are all around us. Remember, behind every woman is a tribe of other successful women who have their back. To you all, thank you.